So this is our interview from January of uh, this year with Sarah Smith. She is running in Washington's 9th district. She's actually up for election tomorrow. Uh, and a lot of people are saying she's going to be the next Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I wanted to uh, repost our interview uh, on its own with her because I thought it was one of the better interviews we've done so far on the show. Check that out and check in with us at the end of the week. It's already shaping up to be a big week for the podcast. Uh, a lot of shit happened. Uh, Alex Jones got thrown off the air. There are Nazis in Portland. Uh, and I'm sure about 15 other things by Friday. So check in with us. Check us out. SoundCloud.com slash move left. Teespring.com slash move left. Uh, if you want to pick up some move left merchandise. And we will see you Friday. Okay, so joining us on the podcast today, I have a very special guest. She is a uh, Justice Democrat and brand new Congress candidate. She is running in Washington's 9th District uh, against incumbent Democrat Adam Smith, uh, Sarah Smith. Thank Hi, you for thanks joining. for having me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> You're running for Congress in Washington's 9th District uh, against Democratic incumbent. Mm -hmm. Um a lot of people would look at that and say, well, why run in that district? Because there's already a Democrat in that seat. Um, so why are you running? What should people know about uh, your primary opponent? So my primary opponent, his name is Adam Smith. There is no relation between the two of us. Fun fact, his wife's name is also Sarah. <laughs> um, but he is a self-described moderate. He's been in office for about 22 years now. He doesn't take any risks. He's never really stood up for progressive values. He waits for pretty much everyone else to move before he makes a decision on what he's going to do and where he's going to stand on issues. I think one of the most prominent examples of this is with H.R. 676, which is Medicare for All. Now, this is a bill that's actually been put forth every year for the last 13 years, and it was only after Justice Democrats launched and said that they had a bunch of candidates that were coming out that he decided he was going to turn around and co-sponsor this bill. So he's he's never really stood up for any kind of progressive values. This district is really loud. It's really assertive. Um, we're risk takers, right? We, we put it all on the line to stand up for what we believe in in this district. And we just don't have a representative that reflects that. He's been in for, for 22 years. He's very comfortable with the war industry. He's very much so in bed with the military industrial complex. And he's just not fighting for the right values. Um, just recently, I had to, I got into it with him on his Facebook page about his pretty lackluster response to Jeff Sessions saying he was going to, um, lift the the Homes Act and he was going to allow them to prosecute if they wanted in weed legal states and he was my incumbent was like oh we this is because we have to put a ban on fe how federal dollars are spent and that's when I shot in and I was like no this is not about how federal dollars are spent this is about the fact that weed is still not legal and you live in a district that relies on this as a primary linchpin in our local economy and the fact that he just he won't step up for anything that we've been screaming at him to step up for and then when he does he does the absolute bare minimum to be able to check the box. And this district is progressive. It's one of the deepest blue districts in the nation. We're, we're, we snuggle right up against Pramila Jayapal's district. We're really young. We deserve better than a representative that's going to wait till the midnight hour to do something about what matters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's interesting. Like a lot of these progressive districts, and especially uh, in Washington, California, some of the bluest places in the nation, and you see these conservative Democrats, people like Diane Feinstein, people mm -hmm. like Adam Smith. It, it's amazing to me that they've gotten away for so long with, uh, you know, just, just, just towing that, that center of the road line in, in such progressive States. Yeah, why, and I mean, why do you think that's happening? 
I think I think they're the number one primary reason that I can that I can point to that anyone who who's even looking at, at these races can can point to is money. They're, they don't want to take any risks because they have these big donors. They have these big, important people that are donating money to them. Uh, of course, Adam Smith isn't going to step up to the plate and fight for single payer health care. Humana donates a ton of money to, to him. Uh, he's very comfortable with the war industry. Of course, he doesn't want to vote down a military budget. The people that donate thousands of dollars to him are making a ton of money every year because of those military contracts um they're they're doing this thing where they're they're kind of it's actually more insidious i think than people realize it's these representatives like feinstein and like smith they rely on people's complacency so they rely on people just being content enough so they're like yeah we are working on an infrastructure bill they just don't tell you that it's only for freight and it's not addressing the actual key stressor on our local infrastructure which is people and com and commuter traffic it's not actually freight traffic at all but they say no look i did sponsor an infrastructure bill and it's just enough to keep people complacent and apathetic and that i think is one of adam smith's greatest tools is making sure people think he's doing just enough that they don't really realize what he's actually doing hmm. yeah no absolutely uh so what were you what were you doing prior to this race um i know you've been involved in in some kind of in community uh things but what were you doing prior to uh running so i've always been pretty involved as far as volunteer work goes i've done a lot of um i've always been pretty political i was raised in a political household i helped participate and facilitate walkouts when the iraq war started in my high school um, i participated in protests against the iraq war after i graduated high school i have been an elected precinct committee officer up here in the 37th legislative district uh, now i'm an acting pco because i moved out of the out of the district into a different one and then i've um we've hosted town halls we've helped facilitate uh, campaign, or um, I'm sorry, we've helped facilitate candidate forums for local races like city council and Renton. Um, <clears throat> and I've done a lot of volunteer work. So I actually used to be on the volunteer board when I was a claims negotiator. I was actually the only associate on the volunteer board, which means that I was in charge of setting up um, food drives, the King Five Harvest Drive. Uh, we worked with Seattle Humane Society. I've done some volunteer work with Planned Parenthood, with Ignite, with Act W and Chick Tech. Um, so I've, I've done a lot of volunteer work in the community and everything like that. And that's that's my primary strength is volunteer work. Oh, great. And you have, you know, obviously an ear to the ground in your district, which doesn't seem like your uh, <laughs> opponent really has. I try to. I make a point to talk to people and engage. I love talking to people and I love talking to people, especially about politics. It's really frustrating <laughs> for for my boss, unfortunately, at work. But uh, <laughs> I uh, and as far as like work history goes, I've, I've had experience as a bankruptcy paralegal. I used to work in mortgage foreclosure and mortgage foreclosure assistance during the height of the recession. Um, <clears throat> I was a claims negotiator and liability negotiator. I helped do special investigations and fraud detection. And then now I actually help manage a mechanic garage in one of the local cities over here. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like we definitely could use you in Washington with, I hope your, so. with your past and uh, <laughs> fraud detection, you know. Like that. Um, I love that stuff. That's actually my, I kind of miss it a little bit. I really love that stuff. <laughs> well, hopefully you get to do it again soon. <laughs> Large scale um, fraud detection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're seeing a record number of progressives challenging establishment incumbents uh, who all seem to have insurmountable corporate fund uh, funding mm -hmm. this year. What do, you, what do you think realistically we're looking at in terms of victories in 2018 for progressives and maybe, you know, in 2020 as well, but obviously in the uh, in the short term, what do you think we're looking at for 2018? So in 2018, I think we stand a really good chance of flipping even just 10 percent of the House. And as mm -hmm. I'm I'm an optimist, I, I try to be a pragmatic optimist. So I try to, you know, 
plan for the worst, hope for the best. So I really want to sweep all of these races that we have candidates in. I'm like, of <laughs> yeah. course, we're all going to get elected. It's going to be wonderful. Um, but I think realistically, we're probably looking at about 10 percent of those seats being flipped to progressive Democrats. But that's a great jumping off point. And that shouldn't be something that people look at and go, oh, only 10 percent. This is a marathon. This is definitely not a sprint. This is I, I, I use the I use a lot of running terms with it. But when you're when you're running a relay race, you have to you can only run a few miles before you have to pass the baton to the next person. And this is a progressive relay race. We're going to be passing that baton more and more and more. We're going to take, I, I'm assuming, probably roughly 10% of seats this year. And then 2020, if that's another 10%, that's 20% of Congress we've taken over with progressives. But this is going to be a building astronomical, large-scale movement. And we just have to be prepared for this to be something that we set our, our long-term sights on. But I think it's very, very realistic and very possible for us to take 10% of those seats in the House at least. Um, I'm hoping that I'm wrong and we're going to get blown away and see 25 to 30 percent but i think that's a realistic figure no that's true and you know honestly and i i know jank has made this point a lot 10 percent, you know to flip you know 40 or so seats that's a huge ripple i mean the 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 mainstream media cannot ignore that if you if if, you know real progressives manage to win that many seats Absolutely. Um, that's a huge number, too. I mean, people don't think about it, but that's what yeah. uh, 10%. It's about 40 seats, 43 seats. If we flipped that many seats to progressives, oh my gosh, that changes the entire landscape of Congress. And we also have to think big, too. There's, there's, red seats that we're looking at flipping too, right? Which is, it is all part of the game. There's a lot of these formerly Republican seats that are held, like Daryl Issa out of California. Doug Applegate is a Justice Democrat, and he is, he's running a really strong game there, and he's at, his strength in that district is actually considered part of the reason Daryl decided to retire. Um, But (laughs) there are red districts where we really stand a strong chance of taking those. So even if we leave all the establishment Democrats in, and we flip all those other, those other districts from red to blue, even that changes everything for us it legitimizes the entire progressive movement and then it it actually gives us power right it gives us the ability to do even more the next run absolutely i mean and you know even to your point even if we flip 40 50 seats uh the fisa uh bill that was just passed through the house only passed by about 55 democrats Mm -hmm. voted voting to reauthorize (laughs) it i mean if we had 50 more progressives in the house no way that would have passed it would have just taken 26 Democrats to stop FISA from passing. And the worst part is there was actually, um, I can't remember the name of the bill, but there was a bipartisan effort that was put out there that would have actually protected privacy and it would have actually neutered the FISA bill. Like and that was USA. Act yeah, like it was. I can't remember the name of the act, but it was rejected and it wasn't ever brought to the floor. Or it was voted down. And then this FISA act passed because of those Democrats that that didn't stand up for privacy. And that was just unbelievable to me. But even just 26 six of those Democrats, half of the Democrats that voted in favor of it could have stopped it and they didn't. And so I think if if that's the case and if those Democrats weren't willing to stand up for people and, we're, and our privacy, get them out. If someone out here is thinking about running in, in one of those districts where one of those Democrats are, do it because we need to get them out. If they're not going to listen to us, fine, we will replace you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so just you know describe for our listeners the uh, whole ngp van situation uh that you've that you've got going on with the uh with your local state party right now sure so this has been 
a contentious issue between our campaign and the state party. I am a lifelong Democrat. I've always been a, a registered Democrat. I'm very progressive. I've always been extremely progressive. I was raised in a house by a man that helped. Uh, he was a consultant when they wrote up the legislation for how Ireland was going to implement single payer. And so I've I've always been a part of a progressive wow. household. And uh, yeah, it's, I actually didn't find that out until this year. And I was like, Dad, oh, wow. why did you wait 29 years to tell me that? Um, but so what's going on with Van is essentially NGP Van is the voter access network. It's actually really critical here in Washington for us to have access to that data because we don't actually register for parties up here. So when people vote Democrat, that data gets aggregated back and the Democratic Party has their van system, which keeps that data put together so you know which areas are stronger Democratic voters. When you use a third party tool like PDI or like TargetSmart, um, because we don't register for parties, it's harder to distill that information down to who's a likely Democratic voter. Now, when we first applied for it, the state party told us we needed to be endorsed by 50% plus one of the legislative districts. And that was a bylaw that they were they kept referencing. And we were like, okay, that seems kind of extreme, but all right. So <laughs> we uh, that seems like more like I have to win the primary, right? So yeah. I uh, we went and we took a look at some of the legislative districts in the ninth. And it turns out they either don't endorse at all, they don't endorse until after the primary, or they don't endorse until around May which if you're running a grassroots campaign and you only have three months to reach 700,000 voters, it's not really a feasible option. So I, having a little bit of background in legal and fraud detection and all that stuff, I said, okay, let me see the bylaw. Let me read the language. Let me just make sure we're all interpreting this correctly. It was completely friendly. I just wanted to see the language, which between you and me doesn't sound like that big a deal, right? But (laughs) this is the moment where they decided to clamp down. They stopped emailing us. They would only call us. They refused to provide us the bylaw. And so we went public with what was going on. We actually waited about a month and a half before we went public with what was happening. Uh, That's when the legislative district chairs and some of the county chairs reached out to us. And they're like, what are you talking about? This bylaw. And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. And so they started reaching out. So we have county chairs and we have legislative district chairs reaching out to the state party to try and get this bylaw. And they wouldn't provide it to them either. So they wouldn't even give it to their own local leadership when they were asking for it. And then, because of course the goalposts have to move and the story can't end there, right? Um, <laughs> then there was a big call because I've was i I've been a thorn in our state party chair, Tina Podlodowski's side for a long time now. And uh, I won't leave it alone. I've called her office. I've left messages. People have sent emails. Um, and so she had this big interview where they've been calling, they actually have been calling it the Sarah Smith issue, which I love. I have an issue named after me. My mom's like, of course they do. Everything's the That's Sarah funny. Smith issue. I have, to tell, have them ask me about the Sarah Smith issue but uh then she said on this call she said it's because i'm endorsed by brand new congress and because brand new congress endorses republicans there's a risk of data being lost and that's a bylaw that they have on the books and so we did it again we ran the same gamut and they couldn't provide us another bylaw and the worst part is they say it's because brand new congress also endorses republicans but we did what any good campaign does and we poured through my incumbent's fec donations or fec filings he's donated to republican candidates across the country But for some reason, that doesn't disqualify him from Van. I know, right? A military industrial (laughs) complex guy donating to Republicans. How how novel. But he so it doesn't disqualify him from access to Van. But being endorsed by an organization who does dual endorsements like that, 
does, which doesn't make sense because a lot of organizations also endorse Republicans. It just depends on your platform. So the logic behind it doesn't make sense. They're no longer responding to us. They're not working with us anymore. So I'm going to be an even bigger thorn. We're going to show up to the state convention with a resolution written to separate campaign endorsements from campaign tools, which means that they can't rely on endorsements to provide us van access. And I know there's someone else out there's another legislative district chair that's also writing up something. So we are going to go physically show up to this to this convention and bring that with us. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm going to keep everybody posted for that's what awesome. happens. <laughs> that's so badass. Yeah. Who, who, um, who votes on those uh, on those resolutions, though? Uh, it's usually our state committee people, um, legislative district chairs, anyone that ho- holds a, an elected position and isn't a precinct committee officer, I believe, votes on those resolutions. So I think it's usually the executive board. Um, for the so counties. Do you think you have like a decent chance of getting that passed through them? or I actually, I didn't at first, but I've actually been working very closely with a lot of the executive board leadership. And now I think we stand a very real chance of getting something like that passed. So I'm very optimistic. And if not at this convention, we're going to fight to get it passed at the next convention. We're just, I'm just going to keep showing up every three months <laughs> to these conventions until they all know me by name. <laughs> You know, it's that that really it's funny. It almost reminds me of the DNC. Uh, you know, I talked to Nomi Konst on the show mm-hmm. and it, the the voting block of most of these democratic organizations typically is pretty fair minded. It's just that there's always somebody installed at the top whose job it is to squash progressive uprisings. Exactly. And that's kind of what's happening in in Washington, which it, we're by no means as corrupt as like New York is. Their machine is so or that's Chicago, that yeah. that machine. I'm talking to Anthony Clark and Alex Ocasio-Cortez. I just can't even imagine. But I mean, it doesn't mean that we're a perfect system. And right now we have Tina Podlodowski, who ran on a progressive I'm a Bernie crap platform and now is reneging on all of her promises that she made. And she's not doing any of the stuff she said she was going to do. She's not providing better transparency. She was elected because she promised transparency and didn't give it and the fact is the base for the democratic party is changing we're people who want rules written down we're getting younger we want more accountability we want transparency that's what everyone wants and she's not providing it and not only is she not providing it she's also actively avoiding it and clamping down on more things so i think people are really amenable to something like this and Mm -hmm. i think the the tide has changed so much that it's the perfect time for us to run for something or for us to run to try and get something like this accomplished at the state level Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so you're running as Justice Democrat. Uh, a lot of people were pretty up in arms with with the organization a few weeks ago uh, when they, uh, well, when when Jenk had to step down because of mm-hmm. uh, some blog posts that some alt right guys dug up from him that he wrote about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a very contentious issue even among progressives. I mean, me, me and Ladonna, my co-host, had a <laughs> 40 minute argument about it on the podcast but um yes and, you know, and which and we i think we basically came to a basic agreement that yeah it was super reprehensible what he wrote but he's also probably not that guy anymore and also their their press release for afterwards could have been better mm-hmm. uh, you know obviously you're you're with the organization so i don't know how much you can or can't say but w- what are your kind of general feelings on just the way it was handled and and you know the whole sure affair? so 
I'm actually really glad you asked me this question. So I, I actually think it's really important for us to speak on this at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can't really speak for Justice Democrats as an organization. Sure. I, I can confidently reassure everybody that I, I know Shoykat, especially the executive director, has been bearing the brunt of a lot of it. He really is a good guy whose heart is in the right place. He really believes in the progressive movement. He Everybody did what they thought was the right thing to do. So that, I think, is the, the big thing to keep in mind with what happened with Justice Democrats and, and with Jenk. Jenk uh, is very supportive of all of us still, even when he was even when he stepped down, he made a point to be like, I absolutely support Justice Democrats. Nothing else is going to change. Uh, I am very supportive of Jenk. I think he's been a wonderful resource for the progressive movement. I think he's been a wonderful resource for Justice Democrats like me. Um, but I think the thing people need to keep in their focus right now, too, especially with everything being so hot around the issue, is we need to keep in mind what the ultimate goal is. Because at the end of the day, what we all want to do is we want to see progressives elected to office. That's what Jenk wants. That's what we want. That's what's just that's what Justice Democrat Justice Democrats wants. That's what all your listeners want. We want to we want to put progressives in office. That's the big picture and that's the end goal. And when we reach the end of that goal, it's not really going to matter who's the director or, or who's on the board for Justice Democrats. It's going to matter how hard we coalesced around these progressive candidates, how hard we fought to get them into office, and how strong they are once they get into office. So we need to make sure that we're not losing sight of it in the heat of all this emotion because it's really easy to get sidetracked by things like this but jank is still very supportive of the organization i'm still very supportive of jank uh, we're still working side by side he and shoycott still talk regularly and we're all still working towards this greater goal and i think we really need to make sure that we're keeping our eyes on that prize and we're keeping that in our focus and that stays the big picture that people focus on so that's kind of the the best the best statement on it that i can give I just I think it's more important that we focus on the end goal of what we're trying to accomplish. I completely understand how people feel, though. I think that everyone's feelings are completely valid. I think everyone's feelings on the issue are are all important. I think it's I love that everyone are, is is voicing their their feelings on this, and I love that Justice Democrats as an organization gives people an outlet so that they can give their voice. Right? I think that's also mm-hmm. really important. They they people can be heard at Justice Democrats, and even if you don't think they're hearing you, they are. So it, it's everyone. They are all. Everyone is listening. Um, but I think we. Really Really need to make sure our focus stays on what's important and that's getting progressives into office yeah no absolutely and, and i think you know ultimately uh, m- most progressives even the ones who are mad about that would agree that it is important that that, that the me too movement is happening because it's been you know yeah sorely and it is, needed it is for- good and I think this is a that we have a lot of it's if it's not anything. I'm a silver linings person, right? I'm, I talk about being a pragmatic optimist. But one yeah. of the things that's that's it's really done too is it's also started this conversation around restorative justice. And so even if we're really upset, it's really good that this conversation is happening because it it helps us find an end game with the Me Too movement. Um, it helps us find an end game with the Times Up movement. It's it really does open up a, a fantastic dialogue that I think has been sitting off on the back burner for a long time that it's now brought to the forefront which i think is a really good thing yeah absolutely um oh yeah jeremy wanted me to ask you uh how are you going to differentiate yourself in terms of marketing since your opponent uh does in fact share your last name i mean you know typically lawn signs are just you know Yes. Um, So we do have a. (laughs) It is a little bit of an issue, and I I hate the idea that it's like I'm the female Smith. I don't like that. It's it's too identity (laughs) politicky. So I was working with my campaign manager, and we're we're bouncing some rubber balls off the wall. We're talking. We're like, what are we going to do to differentiate me without getting identity politicky? And I think really we just it's a focus on on differentiating 
Adam from Sarah and not Smith from Smith, if that makes sense. Sure. So we really need to put the emphasis on, on my first name for marketing purposes. I think that's the most important. The way we have our yard signs structured right now, my first and last name are the same size. And I know his... Um, it's a little funny. His just says Smith in really big letters, and then okay. it says Adam in really small letters at the top. So I think <laughs> marketing-wise, we've. Votes uh, for you. <laughs> I know maybe people will accidentally vote for me. That's <laughs> fine. I'll take your pity votes. Um, but he, uh, we've done a really good job of working with our design team to make sure that our yard signs are unique from Adams. They're not too busy. Um, they get the point across. People know that I'm Sarah Smith, not Adam Smith. Um, and then it does help that you know I'm the Lady Smith. But that's the only way I'm going to get that out there is to actually physically be in the community but for name recognition purposes and for marketing purposes we're really just focusing on emphasizing that i'm sarah smith so <laughs> I, rather than just the smith yeah. the girl smith <laughs> well i know jeremy hates yard signs so he'll love our <laughs> discussion of yard signs they work really well for for this area unfortunately i mean it's it really is they do help with name recognition but i totally understand what he means when he hates yard signs <laughs> they're a necessary evil yeah. i know unfortunately there's a lot of that going around um, do you do you think Adam's going to debate you? I mean, have you guys tried to set that up? What 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 do you think the general? Do you think he's going to try to avoid you? So early on, when we first launched, the Bernie Kratz of Washington were really stellar in organizing a roundtable between us. So it wasn't exactly a debate, but it was a roundtable. And so there is actually already a roundtable. If you go to YouTube and you search Sarah Smith, Adam Smith, Bernie Kratz roundtable, you can actually listen to the whole thing. We uploaded it directly. I wanted people to have access to it. So we recorded it and we uploaded it. You can hear a lot of his answers. Um, the general consensus is that I definitely walked away the victor in that round table and not to toot my own horn but I, I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that he came in thinking that I was a nobody who didn't know anything and the reality is I'm not I actually know a lot and I'm pretty eloquent and I'm pretty good at arguing so we're trying to organize now that he's he's not going to be disarmed now we're trying to organize another one so our revolution King County is looking at setting something like that up I'd love to have a debate with him I think it's important to have these debates um, not just because it gives me an opportunity to separate how uh, who I am from Adam Smith but it also gives me a chance to talk to him about solutions it gives me a chance to put forth ideas on the table and everything like that and it lets people it lets people see how different our two styles are and how different we are it's good for both of us and it's good for our district and I think debates are healthy they encourage him to think about his positions too right so in the event that worst case scenario uh I lose the general right I, I lose he keeps his seat but mm -hmm. if we've had these debates and people have heard us talk and they've seen him commit to things and they've seen him come over left and they've seen him move and they've seen him make these promises we now have an area that we can actually hold him accountable, right? He, we've had these debates. We've talked about these. Um, he now go, he leaves these debates with fresh ideas to bring back to Congress with him, which is really important. It's part of why primary challengers are so important is because we make our incumbents work. And this is just one way in which we'd be making him work. So I'm really optimistic. I'm really hoping that he does, uh, he is responsive and he is receptive to the idea of another debate. Uh, I'm not sure if that'll happen. But he hasn't avoided. I will give. I will give him credit. He has not shied away from me on social media, just like I haven't shied away from him on social media. Um, he's acknowledged me quite a bit in public forums, which I thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, but I, I'd really love to get into a debate on policy. I think that would be really fun, and I just love debating. So <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, um, great. So uh, we know you have a national following because of the endorsement of uh, Justice Democrats and brand new Congress. How are your prospects looking locally for uh, volunteer support? Are, is, are you in need of that now in your area? 
we are always, everyone is always in need of volunteer support. If a candidate ever tells you, I don't need any more volunteers, they are full of it. They are lying to you. <laughs> Do not vote for that person. They are lying. Um, but we are always looking for more volunteers. We're always looking for more people who can come and join the movement. We're going to start a really strong ground game coming up soon. Uh, as we get close to the primary, we're going to be out knocking more and more doors. So we always need people lined up. We actually have a pretty big volunteer force. Um, I have an all-volunteer leadership team that has just been, they've been incredible. I've got Supreet, who is rocking it on the leadership end. I have Francois, who's rocking it on campaign outreach. I've got Andrew, who's my organizational guru. Uh, now we've got we've got uh, some help from from Jeremy, actually, has helped us out a little bit with some of our field work and things like that. But we have, we have probably, I think, about 35 regular volunteers, oh, wow. which is pretty big. If you've, if you've ever done a campaign, sure. 35 regular volunteers is kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> We've we've connected with some other campaigns too in the area, which has been really really helpful. And we've been we've been kind of combining volunteer forces, so we have a lot of opportunity. But the energy is in the district. People are really excited when we go knock on their door, and I tell them, "Oh, I'm running against Adam." I've had more more than more than a dozen people tell me good, and I've had a few people be like, "Perfect, yeah, I'll totally vote for you, Bernie Sanders. I love your platform." I'm like, "Cool, thank you." Um, so it's been. It's been really positive with reception in the district. I don't think I had one person close the door on me, but it was one of those awkward, really like slow. They took my card, slow closing the doors thing while I'm trying to talk. And I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to leave. Um, but by and large, the district has been really excited. Organizations and unions that I were I was pretty confident wouldn't meet with me are actually open to meeting with me to the point that they're setting up. Um, they're reaching out to us to set up meetings to sit down and talk. So even if they don't endorse me, they still want to know about me, which tells me the district is is open and receptive to new leadership. And I think that's a really good sign. That's great. Um, you know, and I, I kind of try to stress that to people. And I'm curious if this is what you've experienced out, you know, knocking doors. Uh, Demo the Democratic base, by and large, is a lot more aligned with the policies of Bernie Sanders than they are with the kind of po policies of the mainstream establishment mm -hmm. Democrats. And I think people kind of lose sight of that because there's so few progressives in congress right now but is that what you're finding when you're talking to these people that they're amenable to medicare for all and things like that oh yes absolutely uh, i don't know if i've met a democrat who's like no we really need to keep private insurance <laughs> in the health market um, but i mean this it's a symbol of the times right everything yeah. has changed everything is different now and we've been we've been asking for things like single payer for years i mean medicare was supposed to be expanded into a single payer system that was the whole original plan yeah. um the income inequality gap affects everybody both establishment democrat supporters and progressives uh, but the general message is we really need to take care of our people. We need to keep to our commitments to them. And that's that resonates a lot with with both sides, with people that are pro-establishment and people that are pro-progressives. Um, I also think it's important not to demonize each other, too, as sure. well. Yeah. So people that are old time establishment Democrats, they're coming from a very different perspective than most progressives are. And so it's really important to acknowledge their perspective when you're talking to them and say, I completely understand, you know, this is how it was always done. I, can, I see where you're coming from on paper, you know, OK. I was not a Hillary supporter. I was a very strong Bernie supporter. But when I get into debates with people, okay, on paper, when you put her up against Trump, yes, Hillary was more qualified than Trump. I think a mop with, a bucket, with an upturned <laughs> bucket for a head would probably be a better qualified president. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the reality is you have to acknowledge where they're coming from. And as much as, as, much as we may not like establishment candidates, acknowledging where establishment voters are coming from and then speaking to them about the issues versus establishment versus 
uh, progressive is really important and it helps engage people and it gives you a lot more perspective on how they feel and what's in, and what's concerning them. Um, most of them too, you know, they really want to talk about things like corporate money. That I think is the biggest connecting issue across all party lines. That 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 touches for libertarians, that touches conservatives, that touches establishment, that touches progressives, that touches Green Party. That that discussion of getting corporate money out of politics is the most cross-partisan issue I have found in this entire endeavor. Um, when you talk to people on any side of the aisle, from any side of the establishment, from any side of the progressive movement, and you tell them we need to get corporate money out of politics and get these bought and paid for politicians out, everybody across the board unanimously that I've talked to has said absolutely. So at the very least, our connecting issue in the progressive in the democratic party between establishment and progressive is getting corporate money out of politics and it's important to speak to that issue first because that's how you engage people because that's what gets their attention and so that's what we've started doing is hitting hitting hard in that area first and then talking about all the other issues and that's it's a pattern of agreement right you're like everyone should have health care like yeah they should i'm like cool single payer is a great way to do that it's cheap um you talk you just speak to the issues after you get people engaged and i think focusing on getting corporate money out of politics first and then going into the rest of the platform has really helped me get more, more connected with establishment voters who actually are now kind of coming over i always make the joke coming to the dark side coming to the dark <laughs> blue side uh but they're more amenable to voting and supporting progressive candidates when you do that yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think the the whole establishment voters versus demo versus like progressive voters is almost a non-existent thing. I think most that de like demo the Democratic base like eighty percent support Medicare for all. I, I think largely the problem progressives always have is just exposure because you know the corporate media it's, it's yeah. a total blackout. Exactly. And it's really hard. I mean, I, I love doing grassroots media outlets. I think it's my favorite because um, podcasts like this one, I was on Environmental Coffee House. I always get asked questions that I never get asked anywhere else. And I just think it's so great. And it talks about issues that I love talking about. And I never really get a platform to do it. So I think grassroots media, it's it's really fun. I think it actually reaches a lot of people. I know the Young Turks, actually, I think they have more active viewers than MSNBC oh, yeah, right absolutely. now. Yeah, their reach is huge. And so they're not, I don't really want to call them grassroots media anymore <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a misnomer at this yeah, point yeah but they're also not mainstream which is so it's really they're in their own little thing mm -hmm. um but i mean i think that you know working with grassroots media really is important I, I, barack obama actually said uh grassroots media is the future and i think he's completely correct uh, but we still have to contend with the issue of dealing with with mainstream media as it is and that is actually the hardest but if you tell anybody oh yeah you have this progressive candidate running for this office everyone's like oh cool look at their platform that's amazing I just didn't know this person was running or I would have voted for them. So it's about getting getting the name out and getting your message out and getting your platform out. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find you, uh, you know, to volunteer, to donate uh, just on social media? I am everywhere. Um, <laughs> votesarasmith.com is my website. And for quick links, you can go to votesarasmith.com slash donate, votesarasmith.com slash volunteer. I'm also on Twitter at sarahsmith2018. I'm on Facebook at slash sarahsmithwa09. I'm also on Instagram at sarahsmithwa09. Um, you can always feel free to email me, sarahsmith at votesarasmith.com. I do respond to all my direct messages and all my Facebook messages too. So if you ever get a response, it is actually me who's doing it. So. Um, definitely if if you're looking to volunteer we always have events that are coming up on the um uh, 13th and the 14th we're having our weekend of action and so we are um we're i'm actually a panelist at the 
uh, progressive town hall that's being hosted by King County or our revolution King County. And I'm going to be a panelist for the summit for homelessness. And on the 14th, we're having a couple phone banks that you can sign up for at votesarahsmith.com slash volunteer. And we're having a canvassing event. Now the coolest thing about our phone banking system is you can do it from anywhere from your home computer. I have phone banked in my pajamas and it is wonderful. <laughs> uh, you don't have to physically go anywhere. You just have to have a phone and a computer and you can do it from home. And I think a couple of our phone bankings that are coming up on the 14th are um, actually remote. So you can participate even if you can't physically go to the location. Great. Well, yeah, you know, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, after talking to you, I have no doubt that if you can get your message out, you're going to crush this guy. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, that's the hope. Thank you. Yeah, no, tr- truthfully. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. And hopefully we'll talk to you again before the uh, primaries. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And Deepa! control room tonight.